Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. Is a good idea or a useful product enough to launch a company? What about a good PR push? Nope, not according to David Rabbi, the founder and CEO of Tavala. He learned that lesson the hard way. From its humble beginnings to a top-ranked home-cooked meal delivery service with a smart oven, Tavala now ships more than 100,000 meals every single month and is finding success on multiple platforms. What has David learned along the way? Find out all of that on today's episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning at business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm really intrigued by your background. I see you have been in the sports world. You've been in the frozen yogurt world. Now you're making smart ovens. And I was like, where hasn't this dude been? So I would love to hear (laughs) about your journey a bit and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I've always wanted to start my own company uh, as far back as I can remember. I didn't know what I wanted to do, except that I wanted to run my own business. And so, you know, when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, I had odd businesses that I started and very entrepreneurial pursuits that we could talk about if if I can remember them. It's been a while, but I found a passion for health and wellness when I was 18. I went on a health retreat with my dad, five or six days of yoga, hiking, vegetarian food right before I started college. That's like the perfect time to do that kind of retreat. Go dad. (laughs) It was a great time. Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, I was very impressionable and it was super impactful on me. It, it, changed my life, opened my eyes up to the power of uh, good food and exercise and and wellness. And I think set me on a path to where I am today. And that path has been very winding. Certainly, I I think you look back and it feels maybe kind of linear, but definitely was not the case as I was going through it. But when I think about what I'm doing now, it's not entirely surprising based on 
my interests and, you know, what I wanted to do when I was growing up. Yeah. Okay. So what was maybe your favorite entrepreneurial pursuit that you can remember from when you were younger? I, so I started a class at my high school. No one had ever started their own class, but I was obsessed with sports and I'd read all these books about sports. I I was like a total nut. And I, I felt like sports has had, I still do, has had a huge impact on society in a lot of different ways. And that wasn't taught at school at all. And so I put together this pitch and I think I pitched the Dean first on, Hey, I think we should have a class on sports history. And she thought it was a decent idea. And then I had to go pitch a, a bigger group of people. And I remember I had these note cards with everything I wanted to say in the presentation. And I basically pitched them on, Hey, I think you should get a new class going, find a professor, teach sports history. Here's all the different types of lessons we can impart. And, uh, you know, it should count for a history credit or something to that effect. And it worked. They ended up teaching the class. We found a professor. I helped build the syllabus. I was kind of a TA in the class. It was a little bizarre. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think for me in hindsight, it was very empowering and, you know, proved to me that I I can create things, uh, even if they don't exist today. Okay. That's awesome. And that was high school. That was high school. Yeah. It was either my junior year or my senior year. And we taught all kinds of things. We talked about Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, uh, the you know various Olympics that were super impactful, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Like sports has touched every part of society in a lot of ways. There was no shortage of material, but it was. I remember it being strange to kind of be on the other side as a pseudo teacher, and I had friends kind of petitioning me for better grades and like what the answers to the tests were and things like that, um, which was kind of fun. Hey, well, that's pretty epic to be doing that in high school. So with the retreat you did with your dad. Are you still doing those today or, you know, have you kept that going? We went back four years in a row and then I, I didn't go back for almost more than a decade, like 11 or 12 years. And then we went back three years ago, my dad and my brother, who's now at the time, he was like 21 when we went back to 21, 22. So we went back, yeah, 10 or 11 years later. And then I went back again recently, about six months ago. Wow. How was it now versus then? It, it was largely unchanged, which I think is part of the magic of the place is a lot of the day-to-day and the hikes and the routine are all pretty similar. And and so you get a lot of people that come back year after year because there's a lot of, I think, nostalgia and attraction to the fact that it's this place that doesn't change in a world that changes all around us. And so that was very appealing. I'm I'm in a very different life stage, I would say, in many ways benefited a lot more from it now than I did almost 20 years ago. Now I just have a lot more stress and things in my life. So being able to unplug for a week and just focus on my mind and my body is, is a lot more novel and, and valued now than when I was, you know, going into my freshman year of college. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So crucial to have that self-care incorporated when you're building a company and being a CEO now more than ever, you need this. So yes. that's awesome that you're still yeah. doing it. So fast forward to today, what are you building? What is Tavala for anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, so, so Tavala is a combined smart oven and chef prepared meal service. In many ways, we take the best elements of a meal kit where you get raw ingredients and we take the best elements of a microwave meal where you get incredible convenience and we marry those two. So you get the fresh raw ingredients in your home, but you get the convenience of a microwave because all you have to do to cook our meals is scan a QR code. And the genesis of this was just, I wanted a home cooked meal, but didn't have the time or the energy to make it on a regular basis and felt like across the spectrum, regardless of what you know, option I tried, everything fell short somewhere when compared to home cooking. 
And that's, that's why we formed Tabala. And, you know, the, the magic of the product and the service is that we control the whole experience. So we have our own R&D chefs, we have our own test kitchen, we have our own food production facilities where we produce all the food, we've built the hardware ourselves and the software. And that's how we can send you meals that are mostly uncooked, but you're only doing a minute of preparation. And then the oven just cooks it automatically. It's like having a chef in your home. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, there's obviously many meal prep type of companies. I've had some of them before that were not always easy, or if they were easy, I was like, is this even healthy? Or is always microwaving the meal this much actually still healthy? Like, is that vegetable still a vegetable? I don't know. What made you look at this industry and be like, you know what, it's time to build my own oven to make this work? Like, where did that idea come from? Yeah, I, I think it came from the fact that I cook a lot for myself. I used to cook a lot. I, I still cook a lot. And I, ovens are very powerful tools. And there's a lot of magic in being able to change temperatures while you're cooking and also change the way you're cooking. Uh, so I, I like to use a piece of fish as an example. Great way to cook fish is to steam it for a certain period of time and then finish it in something much hotter, whether that's a really hot oven that can broil the fish or a really hot pan. And that's pretty common. Like you start cooking a food at a low temperature and finish it at a high temperature. Oh, I did not know that. But not that common to me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the tip, David. That is pretty common, uh, especially with proteins. So one day I was cooking for myself and I was using a lot of different appliances in the home. And I, I had this realization that much of what I was doing, a computer could do. Like I was changing, I was turning a knob and I was pushing buttons in and you know, it was manual because I would come and change the temperature while I was cooking or change the amount of heat while I was cooking. But all that I felt like could be automated. And so that was kind of the, the appliance side in many ways and the opportunity I saw there. And then on the food side, everything that you ordered that was convenient was pre-cooked. Like whether it's a microwave meal or food delivery or, or takeout or pickup, like it's all pre-cooked. And to me, like there's definitely a lot of value there. We, my wife and I still order from DoorDash from time to time, but you don't get the same textures. The food tends to be really uniform in the textures that it has, especially with, with microwave meals. Uh, you don't get the freshness. The food is lukewarm. Usually you don't know what's going in your food. There's, there's all these things that you don't get when something is pre-cooked and reheated. And so I wanted something where most of the ingredients would be raw. And, and that's true for Tavala. Probably 60 to 80% of the ingredients we send to our customers are totally raw. But then because you have the oven, it cooks perfectly. So it's kind of all these little pieces that came together that made it clear, hey, we also need an appliance if we're going to deliver on this value proposition. Yeah. So how do you take into account when you have multiple things within the dish? You've got a sweet potato that takes a thousand hours. You've got fish that takes five minutes and then, you know, like yeah. something else. Like how do you control for that? Yeah, that's that's a big part of the magic. And, and that work falls on our R&D chefs to really figure out how do you pair ingredients that often have radically different cooking requirements. And they have a whole kind of suite of tricks up their sleeve. So it might mean cutting a certain ingredient very small and that, that accelerates the cooking. It might mean marinating an ingredient a certain way to accelerate the cooking. It might mean covering an ingredient to slow down the cooking so it doesn't get as much heat or so that it gets more steam. It might mean par cooking an ingredient. So let's take potatoes that take 40 minutes and salmon that takes 13. Maybe we'll par cook the potatoes for 27 minutes. That way, when they get to you in your home, they finish together with the salmon because we, we never ask our customers to put in food at different times. Like your whole meal goes in simultaneously and comes out at the same time and, and always takes 20 minutes or less. Wow. That's smart. Yes. Yeah, someone, I forget who it was, gave me the tip like, oh, if you boil potatoes for a little bit first, then you can put them in the oven and make them all nice and crispy within minutes. And I was like, 
wow, that's such a great tip. I never would have thought about that. Obviously not a chef here. So, I mean, this sounds mind blowing to me. When you were ideating this company, I mean, how did you decide, should I start on the hardware first or should I start on, you know, the meals and hiring the chefs? I mean, what did the early days look like? It's a good question. We, we kind of started on both at the same time. My, my co-founder was obviously the first person to kind of join and he's a mechanical engineer by trade. But we, we had a team of chefs working for us, I think pro bono at the beginning. So they designed a few recipes. So, you know, I'd say from the very, very early days, this, this business was a full system. It wasn't that the hardware start, you know, was the first step. And then a year later, we, we decided to add the food. Like the whole genesis was that these two would have to live in harmony and, and the software would be the glue in between them. And I think that's a lot of the magic. Uh, that's how we market it. It's as a full service. It's how the business model works. It's how the product is built. So, you know, the fact that they work really well together is, is part of what makes the product so differentiated and, and so good. Yeah. When you were coming into the market, did you have any struggles with trying to convince consumers to buy another oven? Because I'm sure right off the bat, most people might be like, I already have an oven, just send me the food. Like, what did that look like yeah. trying to educate them on like, well, you actually really need this to make it easy? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. We definitely had a, if you build it, they will come mentality. Mm -hmm. And that was not true. We launched in the middle of 2017. And we had a, a pretty splashy launch. We were in the Wall Street Journal. It was a great story. And we didn't sell that many units. And that should have been our, our first warning sign that something was up about how we were marketing the product. But it took us about two years to really figure it out. So it was not a, an overnight couple tweaks here and there, and, and we cracked the nut. It was a lot of testing, learning, failing. And you know, in hindsight, now I know how we, we figured it out and we, you know, we could have done it much faster, but it took us a while to really get there. And eventually we did. By late summer of 2019, we had figured out how to market it. We had figured out how to price it and the growth really took off, but it was a, a long journey to get to that point. Okay, I'm sure people listening are like, well, how did you figure it out? There's probably one person listening right now. They're like, I'm at that stage. I just had a big splashy, you know, cover on wherever and I didn't sell anything. Like, what did that look like for you guys? What were you doing back then versus what did you figure out to then be where you are today? Yeah, we we tried a lot of things. We we tried selling in different channels, whether that was on different digital channels. We tried a pop-up, we tried B2B, so selling into hotels and offices. We tried targeting a very specific customer. We were going after new parents. We tried a lot of product things. We're like, oh, the product needs to get better. We need a new oven or we need more meals on the menu or the app has to do more things. And none of those things really worked. Like They certainly helped, but they didn't really work. And, and the product stuff really came in handy once we had figured it out because then the product was, was built out and pretty mature. Really how we figured it out was going back to marketing fundamentals. And we went and interviewed some of our best customers. We went into their homes. We looked at how they were using the Tavala, where they were putting it, how they talked about it, how they described it to their friends, what they had replaced with it, like really tried to get into their heads. And then we also went and talked to a lot of people that had been to our website, but not purchased. So these were folks that had spent five or 10 minutes on the site, browsed it, but ultimately didn't decide to buy. And you know, clearly we had made an impression on them. They'd spent enough time on our website that something resonated, but they couldn't get over the hump. And so we incentivized them and got on the phone with them too, to really understand why. And we heard a lot of the same things from, from each group kind of separately. 
And that kind of drove our roadmap for nine months of things that we needed to change in terms of our positioning, in terms of how we talked about the product, in terms of how we priced it, uh, in terms of the, the content that we used on the website. And a lot of those things came together in, in early fall, late summer of 2019 and started to drive much faster growth for us. Yeah. Were there any pieces that were surprising when you were talking to your favorite customers or talking to people that bounced off your website? I mean, was anything really that surprising or were you like, oh yeah, those, these are pretty obvious things. We just kind of missed it because we focused on something else at the time. Yeah. In hindsight, they were pretty obvious. Like the three, the three biggest barriers to adoption, number one was price, which we knew, but we just, we hadn't focused on it, which was a huge mistake. How much was it? So the way it was priced at the time was that you could get the oven alone for $349, or you could get the oven for $249 if you committed to ordering a hundred meals. So it was a really big commitment we were asking from people. And that had been in place for almost two years because of you know where the business was at shortly after we launched. And we hadn't reevaluated it. We really should have. So that was the first biggest one. And so we we went and tested a whole bunch of different prices coming out of that. The second was trust. So people didn't believe that it was as good as we were saying. They're like, oh, I, I just don't believe this. Like yeah. it sounds too, too good to be true. We kept hearing that. And so the way we tried to tackle that one was a lot more testimonials and a lot more video and better photography. And then the third was, I don't get it. Like, how does it work? Is the food fresh? Is it frozen? Can I use the oven for my own food? you know, a whole suite of questions that we weren't doing a good job of answering. These weren't new questions, but it was clear that we weren't answering them well. And so that, you know, that and the trust one drove an entire redesign of our website and all of our emails in order to try to tackle those better. Wow. Okay. So are you now at a place where you're constantly doing these surveys and making sure that you're staying in touch with your customers or, you know, maybe your future customers? We do. We do do a lot more surveys now. Uh, we have someone whose job is purely customer insights. And so all she does is, is talk to customers and, and our product team is regular t- regularly talking to customers. Our growth team is doing some talking, a lot more watching and understanding user behavior mm-hmm. uh, on our website and, and things like that. We're also constantly testing a lot of these things yeah. in a way that we weren't before. So how many meals are you guys shipping out every day or how many ovens are you selling? Like what does the scale of your company look like today versus, you know, many years ago? Yeah. So I'll speak in kind of generalities. I'd say from when we found product market fit to now, the business is about 25 times larger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seems it's, like a lot. About a two, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of growth. That's, that was about two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And in terms of meals, we're, we're shipping hundreds of thousands of meals every month. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. What's your favorite meal on the menu right now? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I've been eating a lot of our chicken Caesar salad for lunch. So I like the hot, cold contrast in in the meal. So the meal basically is a chicken breast that's brined and then it comes with a, a nice spice mix that you put on top. That cooks in 20 minutes. Our chicken comes out super juicy, like un, unfathomably juicy. And then it's paired with like this great let, you know, fresh lettuce mix with a Caesar dressing. And then you add croutons and Parmesan cheese on top that come with it. And then with the hot chicken breast on top, it's like fairly low calorie, super clean, really healthy lunch that I love. It's not on the menu every week. It's probably on the menu every like two to three weeks, Yeah, but I I'm all over that when it is, especially as the weather is getting warmer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds very delicious. 
product idea for you because sometimes I like to offer them up when I'm talking to different CEOs. Let's hear it. Why not have it start out as a refrigerator? Because you know, you have kids, mm. you're like, I don't have time. Like, I just want to be able to say, hey, right now, all day it'll be in the fridge. Okay, now turn it into an oven and then cook it by the time I get home for these crying children within a minute. I'm sure that's not that hard to make. A blend of a refrigerator and an oven. Come on, David. <laughs> uh, so it actually was our early idea was for it to be a refrigerator. Oh, really? It was, yeah, for this specific reason. Not only is it very hard to make, like you have to go from very cold to very hot. Yeah. Uh, so that's a very hard, hard thing to do in one box. It's expensive. So it would drive up the cost for our customers and increase the barrier for someone to kind of get into the service. So those are the two reasons we deprioritized. And then I'd say the third, probably just as important is most of our meals cook in about 15 minutes. So it's, it's such a short period of time that like, we almost never hear from our customers that, oh, I just didn't have time to make the meal when I got home. Yeah. It's fast enough that like you get home, you put it in, it takes two minutes to prep. And then by the time you've changed and, you know, taking care of your kids or poured a glass of wine, dinner's ready. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise, and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. I like it. I'll let you know if I have any more brilliant ideas for you guys. That was my Yeah, lay it on me. <laughs> so... I saw you were featured on Oprah's like favorite things list. What is that? Like, did you see a good uptick when you got featured there versus I think you said the Wall Street Journal before? Like, was there a big uptick? And then if so, how do you handle that kind of demand? We definitely saw an uptick. It was a little hard to measure directly because it was already a very busy, fast growing time of year for us. But we saw big growth in traffic to the website and sales, especially in the first like, I don't know, seven to 10 days after the list was published. We do think we've continued to benefit though, because there's a ton of affiliate links that show up with Oprah's list. And then we get a lot of credibility from being on the list and still get to advertise that fact. So it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. We saw a big uptick with the journal. That was very clear. Like the, the two days we were online and in print, it just like the overall numbers were very small. Oh, like the conversions weren't good. You saw lots of interest and then yes. not many conversions. Now you have interest and conversions. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, got it. Are there any platforms that you're most excited about when it comes to finding new users? I mean, I saw that you, you know, were playing in the connected TV space. I mean, I would love to hear where are you finding new customers and what's working right now? Yeah, so we, we advertise a fair amount on TV and TV, TV works very well for us, especially the, the video and kind of the, the fact that the product is pretty new to the world requires some education and, and being able to use video is a, a really useful tool. So TV has been great and, and we're continuing to gradually scale that up. Uh, we do use Facebook and Instagram 
I know it's been rough going for a lot of direct-to-consumer companies on there, and, and we were not exempt from that, but it, but it still works for us, certainly. Organic is, is a big driver. Like There's a ton of word of mouth about the product. I think largely because it's behavior changing, it sits on the countertop, so it's in the center of most people's homes. People use it a ton. Uh, and so people talk about it. That's that's been true since the beginning. And then some of the new channels we're excited about, uh, TikTok, certainly. We've seen some early success on TikTok. And direct mail is another one. Oh. We've seen some success and, and being able to target very specific areas we think is is pretty valuable for us. Um, and so you know, between those two, we're, we're pretty optimistic that at least one will start to become a, a pretty real channel for us. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you all are perfectly suited for the TikTok style, yes. showing how it works really quickly, out pops a meal, you know, high quality. That seems like a great channel. But for direct mail, how are you, like, what are you sending? Because I still sometimes, I'm like, I never see good mail. And I've heard <laughs> a lot of brands saying they're kind of getting back into this space and they're innovating on it. But me personally, nothing good shows up at my door. So I would like to see something good. So what are you guys doing and how are you finding success with it? Yeah. I don't know that we're doing anything revolutionary with direct mail. We, we test a lot of different creatives. So I think we, we approach it similar to how we do digital, where we'll have you know test groups, control groups, holdout groups, measure incrementality based on where we're running the, the direct mail. And then even within markets, run two, three, four different tests simultaneously to see you know, what kind of creative and messaging works, but it's still direct mail. You know, it's still a three by five card or we'll do a shared mailer where we're with some other companies and, and doing that together. Uh, but we've seen success from that. Yeah. Okay. I'm imagining 3D pop-up oven, little QR code to scan and you get a one trial. <laughs> you are all over it, Stephanie. We Someone on my team sent me something like that. So many ideas up here. Yeah. No, that's a real idea. Someone on really? my team sent me something like that probably a month ago. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm not behind this time. I'm actually kind of in the space when you guys are thinking about it. <laughs> You're on. You're on. I sent it to our team. It's it's a lot more expensive, mm -hmm. which is why I think we haven't done it. But yeah, most of my ideas are they'll always be cost intensive, <laughs> but they might have a good ROI. I don't know. Yeah, this this one really stood out to me. I was like, oh, that's actually a really cool idea. Yeah. Oh, we need to follow up on that, David. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think with something like this, if someone were to experience it even once, I mean, if I think about a lot of the meal delivery, you know, companies that I've worked with in the past, once I got a tester of it, I knew right away, like, oh, this is a hard yes for me, I'm going to stay with them mm -hmm. or no, I, you know, either it's expensive and it actually wasn't that high quality or it took so much time. I don't even want to mess with that. So it does seem like a free trial could be helpful for, for something like this. Is that something you have explored or is that too, you know, expensive to try that? We, we have done a little testing around free trial. We think there's something there. We tested it with a third party and the customer ordering experience was a little challenging because you work on our website and move to another website. So we're probably going to build that ourselves as a means of a different way to order the product because we do think there's a, a cohort of folks that once they tried it, try it would, would be great customers. And we've seen that as we've tested different prices, customers generally all behave similarly and love the product. And so we, we don't see a reason why free trial would not be, would be any different. Yeah, I think it would undo... All the memories. So many people have been burned in the past by all these companies that popped up really quickly and actually didn't offer, yeah. you know, that good of quality or value or whatever it may be. And like this could be a good way to write those memories and make people excited about this industry again of having a great meal <laughs> delivered quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, you guys scaled up your team pretty quickly 
recently, right? I mean, you raised, I think, $30 million, or correct me if I'm wrong. Correct. Yeah, we raised a $30 million Series C and have grown the team to, to several hundred now. So yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been challenging. Yeah. You know, scaling a startup is, I think, always difficult. You know, you're, you're trying to, one of, one of our teammates says like, you know, we're flying the plane and building it as we're flying. And that's totally true. So most things are broken and we need to fix it while we still need to operate things and hire new people and kind of train them in the way of doing things. So no day is the same, which is great. And especially no year, like our company looks so different than it did a year ago and radically different than it did two years ago. And hopefully that's the same a year from now and two years from now. Otherwise we've done something wrong. Yeah. What are some of the key lessons you've learned when it comes to raising, you know, a couple rounds? I don't talk to too many, you know, founders who have raised up to a series C and, you know, have had that much resources to tap into. What have you learned along that process? Uh, fundraising is challenging. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Fred Wilson is a, a very well-known venture capitalist and he wrote this blog post five or six years ago. I think it's titled the job of a founder CEO. And he said, at the end of the day, there's really just three things that a founder CEO needs to do really well. Number one is set the vision. Number two is hire great people. And number three is don't run out of money. I, I come back to that all the time. And think it's a really, really useful framework for how I should think about my job. And the third one, for better or for worse, ends up taking a lot of time. And for a business like ours, that is pretty differentiated. It's in a category that has had a lot of failures. Fundraising has not been easy for us. But for periods of time, like I've made it basically my full-time job to fundraise. And, and a lot of that is playing the long game and getting to know people over the course of several years that ultimately end up investing in our business. And, and building up a, an investor base that we know super well, that knows our business inside out, that's, that's hugely supportive for when things don't go well. That has also been really important for us. So it's critical for a company like ours that needs a lot of capital to get to a certain scale. And, and fortunately, we're, we're getting there now, but you know, there's, there's really no other way. Are there any founders or CEOs or companies that you watch you know, day to day and to kind of learn from or you know, where you take pieces and nuggets and like bring it into Tavala? Tons, tons. Every. Yeah, I, I, I've been doing that my whole life. Um, I've, you know, read stories of many, many other successful companies, many other successful founder CEOs, our board, we've got advisors, many of them are former founders, former CEOs that led very successful companies. I've got peers that are similar scale and stage to me where we'll talk all the time and trade notes and help each other as well as a few that are still in the game, but call it one to three years ahead of where we are, that sometimes I'll go to and say, hey, you know, have you experienced this? How did you handle it? What were the ramifications? So yeah, I'm very fortunate to benefit from a a large network that has been there before, as well as literature, right? There are so many books that are great that I've leaned on for anecdotes, advice, et cetera. Yeah, I love that. What's your favorite book? Favorite book. Um, I can tell you some of the books I've gifted a lot recently. There you go. Yeah. What have you been gifting? Shoe Dog, like consistently for mm-hmm. the last couple of years. That's a good one. Yep. Given that's a lot of folks here. Bad Blood, I thought was very good as like a what not to do for a lot of folks on our team. Yep. Ben Horowitz's book, hard thing especially about hard for things. people that join us. Yeah. But that one I've given more than the, the, the new one too. I've given a lot, but hard thing about hard things I give to a lot of people that start here that have never been at a startup. Mm-hmm and are coming from a larger organization just to open their eyes a little bit to the chaos that they're going to walk into. 
I think Horowitz does a better job of better, like more honest job of talking about that than almost any other book that I've read, especially kind of modern day startups. So yeah, those, those are a few. Awesome. Well, with that, that is a perfect way to end the episode so people can go and explore those, check them out. David, thank you for coming on here and sharing what you all are up to at Tavala. Where can people learn more about you and Tavala? Tavala.com. That's the best place. All right. Awesome. Thank you, David. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.